Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Tom Parsons from Fontainebleau. How are you doing, Tom? Hey, Ronan. How are you? Good, thanks. Tell us a bit about those vulnerabilities that you found with the uh, net Arlo, Arlo uh, cameras, etc. Yes, yeah, so we, we found a, uh, a couple of uh, vulnerabilities in uh, Arlo uh, home camera uh, uh, capabilities. Um, we found two vulnerabilities in, in particular. Um, one requires uh, physical access uh, to uh, you know, manipulate and, and exploit, and the other requires uh, it's more of a, a, a network misconfiguration and requires local LAN access. Uh, the impact of both of these is pretty significant in the sense that Arlo, you know, there's millions upon millions of these devices uh, globally. Um, they have uh, millions of registered users and stream up to 100 million uh, uh, videos per day. So this is highly prevalent um, camera yeah. uh, for homes and even small businesses. And uh, so, so highly uh, prevalent. And the vulnerabilities themselves, we have a, a really good uh, medium blog that describes the process of how one of our researchers basically discovered this from, you know, how they, uh, you know, unpacked, purchased, and, and uh, 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 you know, went through the various hardware, firmware to discover the vulnerabilities. And I, I think, you know, Arlo in of itself, it, it's really apparent they've built security in fr- from the get go. So, so, so that's really positive. Uh, that being said, even when people set the bar really high, uh, there's always weaknesses in software and, and, and hardware. And in this case, we discovered these uh, two vulnerabilities. Um, the impact of these, I think, if, if, if you're a home user, even a small business user, is that ultimately um, an attacker could exploit these to the extent where they own or, or you know, can operate and, and manipulate the, uh, the, the camera capabilities and, and the software. And what this might mean is... Uh, you know, uh, attackers could delete video coverage, could manipulate it, um, could persist as well, which is a big worry yeah. in the sense that they could, you know, basically own it in a way that they could monitor your video coverage day in, day out. And, uh, you know, when you look back at uh, where this is significant, uh, it is significant and from a you know geopolitical perspective we've seen it you know kind of uh, over, over in the UK in the past year or so where video coverage was you know used in, 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 in some uh, various uh, conversations there to you know highlight you know what uh, certain actors were doing but likewise from a home user perspective the last thing you would want is you you know bought a system to protect your house your, your family and to think that had been compromised and maybe somebody else has control of that and is monitoring you know, your movements day in, day out uh, is a big worry for folks. I think, uh, likewise, um, you know, it, it, it's a concern. And I think, you know, our call to action is really for folks to ensure that the patches that have been issued by Arlo have actually been successfully applied to, to those systems so that they are, they are uh, no longer vulnerable. Yeah, I see two things here. One thing I see is that uh, if for somebody you use the cameras to monitor for insur- insurance claims, if those claims suddenly, video proof you have of that claim suddenly disappears, and also if you're a person who's like a home user and you use them to, to monitor y- your children at nighttime, and that can be hacked as well. Absolutely. Listen, there's various scenarios, uh, probably endless, um, because increasingly people are relying on these for, for home security. Um, you know, in a preventative way, it, it's you know, 
historically people you know used uh, alarm bells and, yeah. and, and so on increasingly folks are using cameras because they're away from the home a lot of the time they want to keep an eye on the place uh, and you know before the advent of the internet and home IOT which is really what where Arlo fits in this was uh, difficult if not impossible to do in more recent years with the advent of products like what Arlo produced it's possible to you know be away from your home all day but still monitor it you know via your phone and um, so that gives people a lot of comfort um, but at the same time if someone else was in control of that situation whether it's uh, uh, you know uh, if they could exploit the fact you were away from your house or could see that there was no one at your house um, and, all, and, and that's on the, on the home user side all the way up to if you think of let's say what you might call a small business like an Airbnb situation you know if someone wants to compromise the, the, the base station which is where we found the two vulnerabilities in, in an Airbnb uh, uh, situation um, you know they could monitor you know the whereabouts of, of future guests uh, and so on so really significant uh, implications I think and um, uh, that's why you know we wanted to surface these yeah so you like mentioned also that, that the uh, data that's recorded is stored in the Arlo's uh, on cloud service would you we find it a bit disturbing in, in a way did this uh, you know, so many things are capable now because of yeah. cloud and Arlo and, and home uh, uh, CCTV type systems are, are part of that. So there's yeah. tremendous benefits. Um, but likewise, there's some risks. In this case, the risk is entirely what you might say on premise. Yeah. It's the base station that you install on your premise. That's where the vulnerabilities exist. Um, and uh, not so in terms of anything related to, to, to uh, Arlo Cloud. Yeah. And in particular, uh, the base station is the component that you would wire directly to, to your broadband router, mm-hmm. you know, and then the base station would then uh, operate wirelessly with the various cameras that you may have connected to, to that system. Um, so in essence, the base station is the command and control center yeah. on-premise within the home or within the, the small business, and that's where the two vulnerabilities were, were discovered. And how do you go with fixing and patching these issues? So again, as I mentioned earlier, Arlo, they've built security yeah. in from the get-go, so, so kudos there. Uh, but likewise, as I mentioned, even in those scenarios, you know, you're still going to find weaknesses and, 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 and vulnerabilities uh, despite that. Um, they've done a particularly good job on, on the update mechanism, so the patches that have been made available uh, are automatically distributed to those devices. And uh, so in, in essence... Um, automatically fixed yeah. and there's no manual intervention required on behalf of the end user or the business owner so uh, however what we would urge is that you know uh, uh, you know owners of these devices do check to confirm that the updated firmware has been installed and deployed yeah well I guess the good thing is Arlo proactive on this so in the moment they found the problem they fixed it they didn't leave it light for months absolutely and, and so just to step back a bit you know we're, we're part of Tenable Research um, one of the largest you know, teams of cybersecurity researchers globally and uh, we have a dedicated unit uh, that focuses on discovering uh, 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 zero day vulnerabilities vulnerabilities that prior to this were, were never public, never yeah. known and uh, however that, that's one half of the mandate which I think people readily understand the other half of the mandate is to work with vendors to get those uh, vulnerabilities addressed um, we, we, we operate what we call a responsible disclosure process, which means we work hand-in-hand to the you know, uh, degree that's, that's possible with a vendor to get those uh, issues addressed. So, uh, so from the moment we, we notified uh, Arlo, we engage in a process uh, to, to highlight the discoveries we've made, get them confirmed, all the way up to the point um, a few months later 
to where those uh, issues were, were actually addressed. So, so and we operate that with um, various uh, vendors. So, uh, you know, in the past three years, we've discovered 150 of, yeah. of these uh, zero days or vulnerabilities. Um, uh, in the vast majority of these cases, we've worked with a vendor to, to get those addressed. Uh, and really, that's our commitment to uh, give back. You know, we see ourselves as the leaders in the space. And, and it's, it, this is where we demonstrate we're giving back because, you know, really our mission is, is, is to find vulnerabilities and get them addressed before the bad guys find them and actually exploit them. So. And I guess what you do is once you find a vulnerability and you liaise with the uh, vendor of the product, once they fix a patch, you can then write a blog about it and say there was a problem, but it's fixed now and this is what it is. And if you're not sure, if you're not sure if you have it or not, this is what you need to fix it. Absolutely. We see it as a, you know, it, it, it's not about making noise about a vulnerability, it's about demonstrating that we've worked yeah. in a responsible manner with you know, the vendor in question to get the vulnerability addressed. That's the ideal outcome you know, from our perspective and we've demonstrated that you know, you know, over 150 times over the past three years. Uh, you know, so, so some, uh, um, we've had some notable you know, vulnerability disclosures uh, in you know, 2018 to 2019, so, so in 2018, we discovered a vulnerability in Zoom yeah. uh, software that a lot of folks use for video conferencing. And uh, again, that's cloud-based. We discovered a vulnerability uh, on the uh, desk uh, top side um, of their servers. And that ultimately allowed folks to hijack uh, conference calls, yeah. you know, kick people out, you know, in essence, manipulate the, the entire conference call. And I think, you know, the, the way the workforces are increasingly global uh, and, you know, the ability to manipulate and, and kind of mess with uh, uh, conferences, it, you know, it undermines the yeah. fidelity of those. I mean, what do people go back to then? You know, is it re regular phone calls? So, yeah. again, th these are things we work on to uh, um, help, you know, people understand the risks that are out there, but ultimately work, work to get them resolved. Another vulnerability we discovered, uh, uh, you know, moving fr from more like cloud-based services to, you know, what's increasingly, uh, uh, you know, top of people's minds, especially from an infrastructure perspective, is operational technology. Yeah. Technology that, you know, uh, operates uh, the most sophisticated infrastructure that is out there, whether it's nuclear power plants or, or, or hydroelectric dams, um, so we, you know, we've discovered um, vulnerabilities within these uh, human machine uh, interfaces, which is really the interface between regular IT, you know, yeah. that humans are typically, you know, are well aware of, and we've pretty robust processes uh, in place um, where downtime is less significant. Uh, but these HMIs interface directly into operational technology, uh, where, where uptime is the most critical and safety the most critical aspects so again uh, it, just to you know emphasize again you know our, our work spans you know a broad range yeah. of, of we'll come back uh, to the zoom one yesterday so apple could be good they announced that because of zoom vulnerability they've uh, they cut links to zoom on, on a mac os and uh, i've only used zoom once or twice when i'm doing interviews and when i realized oh i can compromise and then apple said no we're not going to allow you to use that again that to me is, is maybe they're a bit too extreme in how to handle it. I think, listen, Zoom again was another vendor that, that was, uh, you know, we'd have a really good working relationship yeah. on in terms of the vulnerabilities we discovered. Um, it, it's a more modern yeah. uh, uh, service, and, you know, typically those types of services have security uh, built in for, from the get go. Um, I, you know, there's, there's various approaches, you know, when you step yeah. back from, from, from the very large software vendors, especially operating system vendors, in terms of how to deal with security. And, um, you know, uh, 
uh, we've seen it with, with uh, Adobe and, and things like that. You know, where, where folks have restricted what what you know people can do with Adobe and, and particularly Flash on their operating systems. Um, but there was a, you know a history of, of vulnerabilities and yeah. exploitation, real world attacks leveraged against uh, um, that software. You know, over you know a decade, maybe yeah. a decade and a half. Um, I don't believe that's the case w w with Zoom. W one, given it's just much more recent, but two, uh, the vulnerability we surfaced uh, and others that have been surfaced, we're not aware of, of you know attacks against it. Well, I think because basically, you look at Adobe, that's based on old technology, and all they do is update it, probably use the same old code and modify it. Whereas because Zoom is brand new and designed for a different interface and designed to be cloud-based, which Adobe wasn't, then it's easier to actually to find a problem with Zoom and, and, uh, and fix it. So, again, Zoom for us is uh, security was built in from the get-go, yeah. uh, not aware of specific attacks against it, despite you know uh, finding uh, some significant uh, vulnerabilities. It's not to say those attacks won't happen, or uh, the attacks maybe are unknown at this point, but on the whole, uh, there's no huge history there of Zoom be being exploited by, by attackers, unlike with other you know, software. That, that's yeah, because I've seen basically anything that, that's new and modern, because it's more cloud-based, it's easier to, uh, if you see a problem, you easily go and, and take away from everything else and, and just have it in its own little kind of incubation center. And it's, it's strict and cured, whereas with something like Adobe or anything, anything that's old school, that's harder to do. Um, it, it depends, I think. Uh, you know, cloud-based services, they're less readily available for attackers to yeah. reverse engineer. So, you know, going back over the years, um, you know, w with everything that was traditionally uh, on-premise based, it was very easy to get a copy of software, let's say, yeah. and for, you know, a, an attacker to reverse engineer it and to find vulnerabilities themselves and to find zero days themselves, uh, unbeknownst to, you know, a lot of other folks until maybe they were seen in attacks. I think, uh, in some ways, cloud-based services have the advantage that the, the software, you know, that's been hosted isn't as readily available. You can't just go and extract a copy uh, and, you know, take it down and, and reverse engineer it. So, uh, in some ways, um, you know, cloud services and capabilities yeah. ha have that advantage for, for attackers. That's not to say at the same time uh, they don't have their own vulnerabilities. Um, you know, invariably they need ways and means to connect to the cloud service through desktop apps yeah. or, or, or mobile apps and uh, so uh, you know they're, they're not, not an island either no, but for me it's like if like using VMware you can shut down an instance and we, we saw it back up so with the cloud if there's a bug you can shut it down and we saw the last instance you knew it was working and there's no problems absolutely and I think a lot of that is um, you know a user would not wouldn't notice you yeah. know in terms of how, how, how cloud works it's, it's you know highly redundant and uh, you know the the, the the ability to, to patch you know the service is, is uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's not complicated but at the same time uh, the impact on the user tends to be uh, minimal if you know close to zero most of the time because yeah, it's very rare you see somebody is out for like 10 minutes it's more like a, maybe a few few seconds or maybe a minute the most yeah. your service is down back up again and you wouldn't really notice anything that's happened to such Absolutely. So uh, now that, that being said, the reality is out there today that there's a whole, um, you know, there's a certain amount of folks that are leveraging cloud-based services and some yeah. businesses are, are going cloud first and even some governments are going cloud first. Um, a lot of folks on, on more traditional IT and private data centers. Uh, and then likewise, you know, we look at operational technology as well. And, and that's a big um, area we're focused on because uh, operational technology existed as an island for a long time. Yeah. Security wasn't built in. Many of the devices 
uh, are rarely upgraded or, or, or replaced. They've lifespans of, you know, 20, 30 years in some cases. And we look at, at cloud, you know, in terms of what we just discussed, and, you know, uh, instances of containers that, that folks use for hosting services could last seconds, potentially, or minutes, or, or maybe yeah. a day at most. So that, you know, uh, what you might call a lifespan, as you go from cloud back through to, to traditional IT, all the way up to OT, yeah. it, it's like, it's one end of a spectrum versus versus another. So what operational technology, the, the big risk we're seeing is that as it gets increasingly connected to IT, yeah. okay, you know, it, it was always an island out on its own and now increasingly it's coming under the purview of, of IT folks and it's getting connected to IT, uh, there's very little security, yeah. okay? And then because, you know, safety and uptime are the kind of key uh, requirements and KPIs there, um, it's very difficult then to address any of the issues that you do find and some of the issues are absolutely phenomenal um, so again you know looking back at the uh, uh, vulnerability we found in Schneider uh, uh, HMI capabilities last year that software that directly linked to the likes of uh, uh, PLCs the actual yeah. modules that control you know physical infrastructure and uh, the fact that they have vulnerabilities um, is, is a concern I'm thinking back years ago we look at the banks some of them are still using old systems that are COBOL based and they're linking into modern technology and those systems are the ones where you're going to find the vulnerabilities. Absolutely and, and, and you, what you find in enterprises is, is some of those systems are um, possibly legacy systems, yeah. uh, systems maybe where the institutional knowledge about them has moved on. You know, you might have a Windows 95 box in the corner running really important processes everybody's afraid to touch because it could yeah. bring down maybe a backbone of a, you know, manufacturing process or financial process and uh, so uh, often folks are, are, are afraid to touch those because the, you know that they're maybe critical to an operation but the institutional knowledge has, has potentially moved on. And a company a few years ago how once can be in the, in the corner legacy base running Windows 95 took into network and they were hacked and they didn't know why and then they found out that system was logged in network and they were asking why it was logged in network no one owner was logged in it was been there so long they forgot it was in the network and that's how they got hacked. And they've then figured, okay, if you want to use it, you can use it by itself, but not no more with the network. Absolutely, and that's a big focus for us. Just uh, you know, we do a few big jobs on 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 the product perspective. Uh, one of the big jobs we have customers with is to identify assets within an enterprise, and uh, that, uh, and also ultimately what vulnerabilities are on those assets. But simply understanding that you have Windows ninety five box in your environment is really critical intelligence for, for yeah. a lot of our customers and uh, and again it, it, it's the understanding of it in the first place is huge how you go and mitigate that is another question but that upfront intelligence as to what assets do I have in my network is, is so so important to folks and uh, we, we provide that visibility which is great because customer say to us you know we're not sure what's in our environment uh, you know we provide them the capabilities to do that to understand what's in their environment often they're really surprised you know they may discover Windows 95 box or uh, something that's completely out of life and where you know there's no security built in to maybe instances of uh, software that or operating systems that were never authorized to be in their network in the first yeah. place and understanding that intelligence first is really important then understanding what vulnerabilities you have on those assets then is the next step and they're huge jobs we help customers with. I remember two years ago I saw a, a news program, I was on news about the WannaCry virus and they're talking to somebody who was in the British Navy and in the background of the machine when there's Windows XP in the background I'm thinking how can they be so stupid to have that, that machine running in modern technology like that? 
you know, again, p- people have different life cycles yeah. for developing systems, whether it's for, for you know nuclear submarines and and various things. That the lifespans for um, creating those systems can be you know, could be a decade yeah. or more. So you you know some of the uh, requirements and, and some of the the, the the dependencies that those systems are built on. Obviously, time changes from when, yeah. when those projects were started to uh, when they were delivered. So I don't think it's a surprise sometimes, but I think what you need to understand is one. Uh, the presence of those w- within your environment, yep. whether it's a, 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 you know a submarine or whether it's 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 a you know um, a, a power plant or whether it's a regular business or whether it's even your home, understand what do I have within my environment, and then two, if there's known vulnerabilities associated with those assets, what can I do about it? Yep. You know, and uh, so, so there are big questions to ask, and and, and uh, um, we can help. We can help. I think at times, if you're in a bigger building, there's more chance of that being there and uh, going unnoticed. Yeah, I mean, bigger businesses ha- ha- have extraordinary challenges uh, um, with uh, managing risk. Let's say uh, we just introduced a, a new um, um, capability to help folks with that called predictive prioritization. Uh, businesses today are overwhelmed yeah. with vulnerabilities. You imagine if you have half a million assets within your organization, or even 50,000, uh, and you, you assess that environment for vulnerabilities, you can get the same amount of vulnerabilities back, if not more, multiples. Yeah. How do you deal with that? You know, not all are equally important. Some are being actively exploited. Some there's exploits, you know, just being written for those vulnerabilities. And some, you know, there's no even whispers of exploitation on on, on the dark web or, or whatever. So uh, ultimately, we help uh, with that problem with what we call predictive prioritization, where we leverage uh, uh, threat intelligence to help you figure out which vulnerabilities you need to focus on as a business. Because as as you said, Ronan. Uh, managing uh, IT, uh, information security problems, cybersecurity problems at scale within enterprises, it, it's a really difficult job uh, and uh, you know, folks need all the help they can get. And I guess if you start to use a company, because you can be cloud-based, you can scale up and down pretty easily without these risks. From the tenable perspective? Yeah. Yeah, we, listen, we, we, um, we've been around you know, you know, 15, 20 years or so. Um, before there was cloud. So we've um, basically on-premise capabilities yeah. and, and cloud-based capabilities, more or less equivalent. So we don't distinguish really between, you know, uh, we're not trying to push, you know, every our customers in one direction or the other. We're trying to meet our customers where they're at, yeah. okay? So uh, we have a, a lot of customers who um, have either certain cultures or just are more sensitive to cloud uh, but likewise, we've a lot of customers that are very much cloud first. Even governments that are cloud yeah. first. So we try to appeal to to the broadest uh, uh, set of folks, and uh, what are their desires to, is to perform, you know, what we call cyber exposure, vulnerability management on prem or in the cloud, or in many cases a, hi- a hybrid uh, uh, scenario as well. Um, so we've the capabilities that will address that, that that entire space. Yeah, I guess the best thing is if you've got a customer that you know is used to one way of doing things. You don't try and change them, you just try and make them more aware of the risks that are there and fix those risks as it needs to be. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we're, we're not trying to, um, you know, push uh, customers to how we'd like them to do it. Yeah. You know, people operate their VM programs, cyber exposure programs to, to a certain way. That being said, we're introducing new capabilities that we believe is the next generation of VM and cyber exposure and ultimately, uh, providing folks with a strategic direction in terms of where, where they should go 
uh, you know, there's, we produced original research in uh, uh, last year. It was more related to vulnerability assessment, but it highlighted that you know, 50% of folks who are operating mature, what we call vulnerability yeah. assessment programs, which also imply that, you know, there's another half that, you know, are, are on the less mature end of the spectrum. And uh, so where I'm going is ultimately enterprises, when you look at where they are from a maturity perspective and how they deal with risk, uh, go from one end of the spectrum, which is they're only starting or maybe haven't started at all, uh, all the way up to uh, our, like at the, you know, the pointy tip of the spear. And uh, so we have to meet folks everywhere along, along that curve. But on the, on the pointy tip of the spear, this is where, where you know, we're introducing kind of leading edge uh, uh, capabilities like uh, predictive prioritization, which leverages uh, the, the likes of threat intelligence to better inform prioritiz- prioritization, which ultimately means if you're dealt with 100,000 vulnerabilities of a, uh, on a given day, you know, we'll whittle that down to, you know, let's say 10% or so. Whereas historically, if you're relying on, on traditional prioritization uh, uh, capabilities like CBSS, that could be 50 or 60%. Yeah. So we're, 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 you know, we're really reducing the problem down many fold into a much more succinct problem. And that's really what enterprises lead, need today. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough for the guys out there. But as I said, folks are at various points along that maturity curve. I guess a lot of it's in that done via AI machine learning that you can use that to cut down the amount of, of stuff you have to go through. Absolutely, our data science team are sitting right above us right now. And uh, but you know what we try to do is we try to figure out what the customer problems are first. And if we need AI to you know solve the problem, so be it. If we need you know a chisel, you know yeah. it, that's fine too. So. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of folks get cut up on, on the tech that solves a problem. We're into solving customer yeah. problems. And uh, now it just so happens that we are using machine learning and AI to, to solve uh, 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 some of the, these uh, more significant prioritization uh, problems. Uh, but at the same time, we're not beholden to, to a particular, you know, approach. It's, it's look at the problem, the biggest problem that customers have today when it comes to managing risk within their environments, figure out how we solve for it and you know the data science guys and the product guys and our research guys upstairs will, will you know they'll determine you know the best tools the best approach to, to solve for that um, but we'll use the most sophisticated means if we need to or, or you know if there's simply less sophisticated means and it, it addresses the job 100% we can go that route as well so maybe time we might go old school we know the client of the Havis software team will go old school with them and another client might just go full modern AI machine learning uh, we, we tend to deliver the same set of capabilities you know, globally, yeah. so, so we don't necessarily uh, distinguish. And, and really what customers can do is they can choose which kind of products or, or product suite is most appropriate for them. So some of our products more naturally lean towards vulnerability assessment, which is you know, the more basic assessment of your environment from an asset and a vulnerability perspective. You know, and as you progress, progress up to vulnerability management, which is managing vulnerabilities within a VM program at scale, um, we, we have different sets of capabilities and then you move up to the next level which is cyber exposure or cyber risk and that's really where we get into the more predictive end and uh, where we use the, as I said I like to threat intelligence to uh, allow your teams to operate at scale but in possibly you know a, sm- a smarter fashion so again the focus is, is, is to meet uh, customers wh- where they're at uh, we have a broad portfolio that enables them, enables them to do that, but we wouldn't deliver necessarily you know, a specific feature to one or two customers. We will deliver it to, to, to our global set of customers. But I guess when it's global, it's delivered different ways according to the customer you have. 
We've uh, you know, 27, 28,000 customers globally um, across every vertical from the very smallest to, to top enterprises. So, um, so you know, and then we have a broad product suite as well. So that, that's basically how we uh, enable folks to solve those various problems. Because I can use Martin, if you've got a broad, if you've got a product suite, you can have clients that basically, the systems are kind of older and more legacy. So when you deliver them, uh, the solution is different than somebody who's, who's got a more modern system. Uh, you know, it's actually the same. I would say the solutions don't differ, and this is where you know our competitive strengths come in in relation to what we call content. So, yeah. because we've been around so long and uh, built on, on the back of Nessus, uh, which is you know the world's leading vulnerability assessment scanner, uh, we have um, the ability to detect an unparalleled range of assets and an unparalleled range of vulnerabilities. Um, so you would apply you know, our products, let's say, to any environment, whether it's a very narrow environment in terms of, let's say it's Microsoft only or, or, or Apple only, and you don't need, in that situation, maybe leverage a small proportion of our content, but uh, we cover a tremendous amount of operating systems and software. Uh, so you could, it could equally apply you know, our capabilities, the same product, to a really diverse environment. You don't need a different product, just different content that we have yeah. will, will, will kick in. And again, we believe that to be uh, uh, leading uh, w- within our space and uh, uh, very, very comprehensive. And, you know, customers often say to us, CISOs or directors of information security is, you know, you've helped us with two big jobs. One is to understand what assets we have in the environment. You know, we didn't even know we had this kind of printer or, or you know, that kind of POS software, yeah. you know, in addition to their more regular, you know, you know operating systems and, and desktop uh, clients you might expect. Um, and then secondly, you know, not only do we have these assets, now we understand the risk we have in those assets, which are really the, the, the vulnerabilities. So uh, again, and to your point, Ronan, it, it's, uh, we don't necessarily, you know, offer a different product in those situations. It's the same product, but with, you know, all of that rich uh, content in that covers a broad range of assets and, and a broad range no, of vulnerabilities. No, I'm going to make them live differently. Like, if you got some of these legacy systems, you live with the same product, but in a different way than somebody who's more modern systems. Uh, yeah, there, listen, there's a lot of customers out there with, with uh, legacy yeah. capabilities and, um, we're, you know, we're there to support them as much as folks who have the more, more modern OSs. And, you know, and maybe this is where you're going, is some of those legacy, legacy systems are, um, they are significant risks for, for a lot of enterprises, you know, uh, and the whole security through obscurity is, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wishful thinking. And, uh, you know, even to use your example, you, you know, I, I've spoken with plenty of enterprises over the years where, where they have, you know, Windows 95 boxes, you know, some of them propping up, you know, key, key processes and, you know, people afraid to touch them. So, uh, and there's other examples of different types of, of, of scenarios there as well, you know. And uh, so we're there to help, we're there to highlight what you have. Um, and to help you fix them. You, you know, and likewise, we, we've seen um, vulnerabilities uh, from as far back as 2002 within enterprises. Yeah. You know, so, so it just shows you, um, you know, awareness is the first thing and then the ability to deal with those is, is, is the second. We did mention DOS, which is good. <laughs> like, once you mention DOS, then you've got a whole other uh, ball game. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I haven't used DOS for years, but I remember when DOS came out and bought a new version, you always figured there was some vulnerability that's looking in there because it was using the same code as the backbone. Same with Windows used to have the same code back one of it as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a, 
you know, vulnerability's gone back. I mean, that, that was, I, I'd say, one of the main reasons Nessus and, and, you know, Renault de Raison, he, he's our CTO and he, he runs our Tenable research team. Uh, it's one of the reasons he created Nessus was yeah. to help folks understand uh, back then, you know, in, in probably late, late DOS days, uh, uh, early kind of more, more Windows days, understand what risks and vulnerabilities they, they had, you know, on their, uh, on their systems. And uh, those risks uh, existed back then. I think the world's gotten a lot more complicated, you know, from an IT, OT, yeah. IoT perspective since then. It's a much harder problem to solve, and particularly uh, for businesses. Businesses operating at scale, businesses operating globally. And, uh, you know, we've evolved, uh, you know, to help those folks. And uh, But it is, it, 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 it's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. And I guess for you guys, the most obvious challenge is BOID, finger and device. Yeah, you know, and that's why we have a myriad of approaches to help people detect assets and vulnerabilities. So, you know, sometimes the, the traditional, you know, network scanner approach uh, works, you know, if everyone's kind of on site. Uh, but, you know, there's also the recognition that, you know, people move and, you know, they move the company's assets as a, with them as they yeah. move, whether it's phones or laptops. So, uh, yeah, and that's where additional ways and means to detect assets and vulnerabilities exist, like, you know, agent-based typically. Um so uh, we provide a, a myriad of ways to detect assets and vulnerabilities. You know, additional means, you know, is passive scanning, which is, you know, where you just sit in a network and, 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 and basically sniff for uh, the presence of assets and uh, vulnerabilities. Um, so there, there's remote scanning, authenticated scanning, agent-based scanning. So in essence, Ronan, to, to provide, an, you know, the most comprehensive ability yeah. to detect and, and manage risk within your environment, you need that myriad of, of options. And, and I guess, I'll go back to Arlo, if you think if somebody is working from home, remote working, and they've got an Arlo camera, that camera can be compromised to hack into their work system as well, in theory. And that's, I so I, you know, working with, with the team on this, so Jimmy Severy was the, uh, the researcher who discovered this, and he says exactly the same, that, um, you know, this vulnerability uh, could be used to, to not only persist within a home or a small business, yeah. you know, where you can stay present and observe things for months, years on end, which is a, you know, scary thought for all of us. Uh, but likewise could be used as a means to, uh, you know, for lateral movement, uh, uh, as we say, which is, uh, you know, the ability then to move from maybe one device to another, to compromise an entire network, and ultimately uh, to serve as a hop, you know, into possibly, you know, the, the corporate scenario, because, mm the home user is at home and if someone has compromised uh, something as, as significant and as central as a base station uh, it does give them that beachhead to look for other devices and to potentially exploit them so you could see where uh, you know an attacker could set up uh, an initial beachhead within a home and then possibly migrate into a corporate scenario yeah. uh, simply through you know the, the, the user being at home as well I saw one record company I think it could be Home Depot where they hacked in via the, the vendor who was repairing their, uh, was it their air conditioning machines, and they got in via that, and no one expected that, and it took a time, six months getting in, and they got in, and then after six months, they launched their attack. Yeah, they, they, there's the they, they, uh, HVAC attack, they, there's also, I think, the uh, aquarium attack, you know, so there's all sorts of means to, uh, you, you know, move from more, you know, consumer IoT type, uh, uh, you know, devices, or e even, devices that would be more typically associated with your supply chain you know uh, maybe uh, software and services that help support your business rather yeah. than being the main stay of your business 
and they are often uh, uh, means and ways, perhaps because they, they are less in the limelight within the business, yeah. but nonetheless uh, offer attackers a means to, you know, uh, as an entry point to your business and uh, provi- provide a beachhead to exploit the business for Like somebody in the home has basically one of those I- IoT toasters or I- IoT jokes, and actually, you know, because you don't really think about that as a great risk, your passcode could be zero, 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 zero. Then once they've got that, they got into your system, and that's it. The, there is a concern that with IoT, you know, to what extent is security built in from the get-go? Yeah. And uh, and again, that's where we're here to help, is to identify those assets and, and also service the vulnerabilities. So, you know, with, with the likes of Arlo, uh, security was very much built in. Uh, and additionally, from an operational perspective, uh, you know, solid response to the vulnerabilities we found, including uh, not just from the, the responsible disclosure aspect, but uh, in terms of how the patches yeah. uh, were deployed and, you know, automatically, uh, automatically applied, I should say, and, and the risk automatically mitigated. You know, that, that, that's what you want to see for, from a consumer perspective. Um, so likewise, I, I think from the IT perspective, you know, obviously the hope is with the lessons learned over the past 20 or 30 years and in cybersecurity, that security will be built in from the get-go, but it's by no means guaranteed. And, and that's where, you know, folks like us are around to, you know, inform you yeah. as to, you know, do you have those in your environment and to what risk is associated with them? All you need is one of those to be to be hacked and then you've, you've got into the IT structure of the, of the uh, city. It, it, the big question is, you know, what networks are they associated with? Yeah. Is there linkages from, you know, what do they communicate with? Is there linkages from that, you know, into other networks? Does that provide a backdoor? Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it's difficult to comment on any one of those, but, you know, the, the whole concept with IoT is that everything is very much interlinked. And uh, so, you, you know, theory does mean the, the, the potential for, um, you know, uh, attacks uh, for and for attacks to, to maybe start with something like you know one of these smart you know yeah. bins uh, into something more sophisticated is entirely possible whereas you look back 30 or 40 years ago with operational technology and which still exists today and still you know powers critical infrastructure here in Ireland and certainly around the globe is that that was never built in you know the, the attackers back then most likely didn't really exist and uh, or if they did it on a really small scale unlike what it is today you know most of crime is committed online versus in, in physically so I think you're going from where operational technology was absolutely siloed uh, disconnected from any other networks to today where you may have you know a bin on a street that's you know possibly connected in to you know a supplier who in turn maybe is connected into you know a customer and, and that does leave uh, at the door open potentially for, for, for attacks like and exploitation. I'm thinking about 30, 40 years ago, uh, you, you, the, the technology to, to buy it was expensive. Now it's so cheap that these guys, and I think, they can actually from every smartphone, you need a smartphone to do it. So in theory, you could have somebody decide, and I want to have certain smart bins, say they're full when they're, empty, when they're not full. So you have trucks come along, uh, blocking roads and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, I, I think you're right. The, the, you know, Digitalization, it's pervasive, and um, technology is pervasive, and it's fantastic. It's brought you know huge benefits globally. But likewise, uh, and this is our, our take, is that it's introduced risk that you need to understand, risk you need to measure, risk you need to manage, and uh, so uh, and a variety of devices as well. 
yeah. and the ability to understand what devices and assets you have, whether it's at home, but in particular within enterprises, and it is uh, that challenge has grown increasingly. And as I say, we've you know team of, of not just data science guys creating you know solving really hard problems in terms of you know prioritization. Uh, we've researchers upstairs that are focused on uh, providing the asset and vulnerability coverage day in day out as well so to help you understand the range of assets you have in your environment and what risk is associated with them. And I guess you're always thinking about in the next five years what's going to be what software is going to be technology is going to be prevalent that we have to uh, protect? Yeah it, you know it's it kind of crystal ball uh, time um, I think uh, there does appear to be a, a continued uh, a progression towards cloud and cloud based services uh, you know, I mentioned at the outset, uh, increasingly we're seeing governments go cloud first. In yeah. essence, they challenge their, their uh, uh, you know, uh, various agencies and, and departments to look at cloud-based options first. And it's only if the cloud-based option isn't feasible then to revert to maybe something more traditional. So I think um, that being said, as I said, there's advantages with cloud in some ways from a security perspective. But likewise, um, there's still challenges there. You, you know, you need things to connect to cloud. You know, whether it's 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 uh, client type type capabilities. You know, we found uh, Zoom uh, vulnerability last year. Uh, we found a Slack vulnerability this year. So the, the cloud-based services are not immune to being vulnerable when you look at their totality of of, of what they are. Um, as I said, they're, they're cloud. They're not an island. No, and yeah. uh, so even if things progress towards cloud. Um, there are uh, there, there's risk associated with them, so uh, so it, it, it's important to understand and, and, and manage that, uh, and to understand if you're using cloud, you know. So, so again, we've the ability to help folks understand. When I talk about assets, uh, it's not just traditional assets; it's it's cloud-based assets. We've the ability to tell what assets you have within your enterprise, um, you know, whether it's on, on a Microsoft cloud or or, 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 or a Google cloud or, or Amazon cloud. You know, when we look and talk about assets, it's across the board from, you know, assets that, you know, were created 40 year ago, years ago to more modern, you know, cloud-based assets yeah. as well. So, and that's really important for, for uh, enterprises to understand. It's not just to take a traditional view, view of assets, but to take the, the most broad broad view of assets. And I guess to do an inventory of what's, what is where, so they know which is cloud-based, which is not cloud-based, and then they prioritize which ones do we look at first. Exactly, and very often that prioritization is dictated by a few things. Threat intelligence, in terms of which vulnerabilities are being exploited or could be exploited, you know, imminently. And likewise, a big thing we hear from customers is, you know, we want to fix vulnerabilities on the most important assets first. Okay, so again, things like asset criticality and how valuable an asset is to an organization play a significant role as well. You know, um, we've spoken with, you know, the likes of universities in the past and, and where, um, you know, they've massive trust funds to, to kind of fuel the university's yeah. growth into the future and to sustain its operations. And, and you know, their most significant department is the, uh, the finance department because that's where all the trust funds are based. So they would tell us, like, our most important assets is everything in the department you know a lot of other things are, are, are secondary yeah. so uh, so again but that applies maybe to uh, one, one vertical you go to a different vertical and it's a different type of assets are, are the most important so but the key point here is that asset crit- criticality plays a key role in prioritization okay not all assets are equal and likewise not all vulnerabilities are equal so we're, we're helping uh, customers on, on both counts there because I guess you find that one vulnerability one person could be data loss 
another one could be the ability to access uh, their systems absolutely and it's again you know and even as a vendor we don't know that sometimes you know it's we provide the means and capabilities for for customers to indicate which assets are the, are the most critical we, you know we're, we're looking at approaches to do that automatically but likewise customers themselves also should have the ability to dictate you know which assets are the most critical to tag those assets to, to you know say hey these are the highest critical assets within the organization and, and as a result to inform you know uh, prioritization as, as a result of that you know you want to address risk on the most important assets first rather than than the least important okay yeah. and, and enterprises like anyone else have finite resources so you want to you want to spend that that you know those resources and and uh, investments as, as wisely as you can but also having the biggest impact on risk you know if risk is you know you know high or whatever within an organization you you want to have the biggest impact on that with sometimes you know the the, the, the least investment anything else we have the podcast you no know, i just say ronan i appreciate you, you you know coming in and chatting to us today um you know, the Tenable Research Team, as I mentioned to start, is a uh, one of the largest uh, w- within the industry. Uh, you know, um, we got on and spent a lot of time on the content and, and the ability to detect assets and, and vulnerabilities, and that's a like the perhaps the main remit of the team. Uh, you know, we also talked about vulnerability discovery, zero day discovery, yeah. and ultimately mitigation, and that's another part of our mandate and, and uh, we've uh, you know dedicated team and units here here that help with that with, with intangible research and we also have other teams within within the group as well that do a lot of more strategic uh, primary research as well and who've written a lot of uh, 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 papers that we've published on, on the tangible website too so uh, uh, just appreciate you coming in and, and uh, giving us the opportunity to chat and uh, ho- hopefully we can chat again soon and where can we find your blog if you were to go online is it Tenable.com is where uh, you, we've a dedicated uh, Tenable research page yep. there, so you'll find you know, our latest asset detections, our latest vulnerability detections, also all the announcements about the, the zero days we've discovered, uh, and, and, uh, and likewise the, the white papers we've released as well. Likewise, you'll find us on Medium. We have a really good blog that, that uh, Jimmy wrote in relation to the Arlo vulnerability. It's more about the process of how we went about, you know, with photos of them, you know, stripping down the hardware, plugging into you know serial ports yeah. and it, it's a fantastic so you know if you want the kind of inside line on how some of our researchers work uh, that blog is, is a fantastic read and really graphical as well you know and uh, I think the more technical folks would, would uh, really appreciate because it because that blog reminded me of something you know, when they get the unboxing videos on YouTube of a new of a new, of a new gadget and I thought he's doing the unboxing of a gadget but he's going deep down and opening the whole thing apart and rebuilding it yeah, those guys have a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, pulling things apart, and uh, but ultimately for for a good cause. You yeah. know, the whole idea is to, is to get out in front of the bad guys, find their vulnerabilities, uh, and work with vendors to get get them mitigated and, and fixed. But uh, they, you know, they do have a lot of fun doing it, and I think that blog, um, you know, kind of uh, you know epitomizes the work they're doing, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I suppose the last thing I'd say, just as a plug, if you allow me, is that we're we're hiring. Yeah. and uh, a lot of open positions within Tenable Research and even across Tenable itself um, so uh, yeah you'll, you'll find that in our careers yeah, page what as well jobs you're looking for? across the board yeah. I mean we're, we're growing so you'll, you'll find jobs in Tenable Research right across the board data science data engineers you know software engineers you know all the way through to, to the likes of uh, HR and finance so uh, across the board um, so we have a careers page on Tenable.com and that, that's where you'll find us Thanks very much for that and have a great have a great day, Tom. Thanks, Ronan. Appreciate your time. No problem.